Hey, what's going on, guys? This episode of Drugs and Stuff, Dave and I talk all about fat burners. We talk about the different categories from thermogenics to thyroid base to uncouplers and everything in between. After that, we tackle your listener questions. If you guys want to take part in the next show, then comment below. We'll tackle your questions then, plus comments and likes and all that stuff. It helps to boost our programming in the algorithm. You guys are freaking awesome at helping us out with that, so thank you for what you do. This week is Oral Prima Bolin Worth It, EQ and DECA without any test, controlling estrogen via Masteron or Prima Bolin or an AI, how much do you need to add to your TRT to make it into a good cycle, how long should your cycle be, how much does GH assist muscle growth, and a bunch more. If you're new to our content, let me encourage you to subscribe and hit the bell. We have several bodybuilding podcasts that come out each week. Tons of education and entertainment from IPB pros, experienced coaches, educators in our industry. We're here to help you make better decisions so that you can reach your goals faster and stay healthy in the process. There's timestamps below if you want to skip around. All right, guys, let's get to the program. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally, and all of our programming is brought to you by TrueNutrition.com. Hit me up if you have any questions, uh, third-party tested, high-quality supplements, a company that you can trust. We're also brought to you by Strom Sports Nutrition. I'd be curious to hear any feedback that you guys have. I know a bunch of you guys in the UK are using Strom stuff, and uh, I'd like to hear more first-hand accounts. So hit me up. And if you aren't using them, they've got great health and performance supplements. We're also brought to you by uh, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians, and they have great deals that change week to week. I've seen granite recovery for like $20, which is a ridiculously low price. And of course, we're brought to you by you, the people at Patreon. Thank you guys for supporting our programming, because like I said last week, YouTube doesn't always like us. Well, Dave says YouTube doesn't like me. I think YouTube doesn't like some of our content. Last but not least, if you're in the UK, you can go to Eval Blood Analysis and you can get abused by Dave and get your lab work done at the same time. What's up, Dave? Well, I think we should do a YouTube-friendly edition. YouTube-friendly edition? We've tried that. Yeah. They're actually pretty successful. Weather's nice, isn't it? Yeah, the weather's really nice. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> That's about as good as it would get. So uh. we, we thought about what we wanted to talk about today. Summer is coming. We talked a little bit about adding clen a couple episodes ago. We thought we'd we'd go back over fat burners because this is a time of year. People are reaching out to their sources and they're getting fat burners and they're getting ready to lose as much fat as they can. We thought we'd just take a general approach and talk about the different categories of fat burners and uh, maybe talk about some of our own experiences as coaches and personal experience as well. It's something I've never used a lot of, which has probably been reflected in my physique. But I've never, I've never, never, never used a lot of that. Oh, Dave, Dave, uh, Dave. What's your go-to? I've never, because I've never really been, to be honest, because I've never competed. I've never really felt that there was any justification to use. My go-to, like I've said before, would be Clen, but I've run it differently than you often hear, the two weeks on, two weeks off thing. I'll start with uh, 20 micrograms, as I learned from Dave Palumbo, like literally 15 plus years ago. Actually, I learned from my coach, who was coached by Dave, and he just 
he used Dave's ideas and it worked great. You know, before that I tried like ramping up to like 100, 120 micrograms and running that for two weeks. I got the worst side effects. And if I just run 20 and I run that for two weeks, I get very few, if any side effects, same with my clients. I've had maybe in, 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 you know, almost 15 years of coaching, I can count five or less times when somebody has actually said, Hey, I still have an issue with Clen at taking it at such a low dose. Then from there, we will increase it to 40, right? After two weeks and after two weeks, we'll go to 80 and after two weeks, we'll go to a hundred. And after that, we take a break. And then after that, we start that cycle over again. And with those small incremental bumps, I don't see uh, side effects with it yet. I still see a continued benefit. And if you already have your diet nailed and you're adding that fat burner in later, to just kind of push things a little further, then you can get that much more progress with it. Uh, of course, I think the number one thing we have to remember is fat burners are not going to do the job on their own, right? So I'm asking Dave more as in like with clients, um, what what I know that you maybe not have not used a ton, but you're more, I remember we've talked about this before, you're more of, a, of an ECA guy, aren't you? No, he eats very much more the person. Um... So I, I do agree that Clen tapered is much well tolerated. And I, I, yeah, I mean, like everybody, I subscribed to the two on two off for a long time. And then I realized that it wasn't necessary and you could actually run it, you know, quite long term. Um, and I'm with you in the sense that it's low dose, tapered up. You, you generally, same with GH, actually. If you start GH low and taper it, you generally don't get the same level of sides. Agreed. As you would if you just tried to jump in. Clen's definitely a solid drug. Um, obviously, it's not catabolic in the same way that T3 is. So particularly if someone is not on cycle, um, so from a natural's point of view, Clen is definitely the preferred choice of fat burner, I would have said, more than probably anything else. Yeah. Um, obviously, it doesn't become as much of a concern if you are assisted. Uh, but obviously, the thing is with Clen, like a lot of fat burners, and sweat T5 difference, is that you need that deficit for Clen to really be effective. Wait, you Clen's said T5, make- but I think it's important... Because like that's kind of like lingo that you and some select people in the UK might know. But every time you've said T5, we always have people who are like, hey, what's T5? All right. So ECA, ephedrine, caffeine, and aspirin was originally, that combination was originally proposed by Paul Borison. Paul Borison was the guy who set up Chemical Warfare and Biohazard and a few other companies way, way, way back in the day. He's long gone dead. And his books are rare. They're difficult to get hold of. Um, bit of a mad professor, but one of the things he came up with was ephedrine, caffeine, and aspirin. So ephedrine is a thermogenic. Uh, increases body temperature, therefore increases calorie expenditure. Caffeine and aspirin are in there because they cripple the body's ability to regulate temperature, which means you can't stop your temperature from rising. So they complement the, the thermogenic effect. He named them T5s as a piss take because obviously there was already in existence the two thyroxine medications of T3 and T4. Uh. Um, Now, as time has gone on, the T5 name has gone, but it was the original name for the product. Like I said, Clen, 
if you think of Clenmore, the drug that metabolizes fat and makes it more bioavailable for the body to use when in deficit, that's your best way of looking at it. When you look at something like T3, sorry, T5 or ECA, whatever you want to fucking call it now. Okay, ECA, we'll stick to ECA. Uh, that's a thermogenic. So that increases calorific burn. So if you were at maintenance, theoretically, by taking ECAs, you could actually force your body into a deficit because you will increase the rate at which you burn calories. So as a result, you become deficit if you were at maintenance. Um, and that's where there's this subtle differences. Agreed. I, I, one thing, though, I think that I'm going to guess because I'm not 100% sure about this. So Paul Borison, I didn't know about him at all. Okay. And after you started talking about him, I started researching about him. So he was a pupil of Dan Duchesne. I think that it was Dan that came up with ECA. No, it might be then. Maybe I'm wrong. You might be right. But he would have brought it, I I imagine, because like back then we didn't have the internet, right? So you wouldn't hear like what was happening on the West Coast in California, what Dan Duchesne was doing. So the way you would learn is, you know, through some type of correspondence. And I guess they had a longstanding correspondence. And then Paul Borison came over to spend a lot of time with him. He was like his star pupil. And I imagine that he went and to the UK and then disseminated a lot of the ideas and probably built off of them too. You know, I know See, that- I was, no. sorry, I was under the impression that their relationship was more, um, even rather okay. than pupil teacher. I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I, I generally don't yeah. know, but I was under the impression that they were two like-minded people that spent time together and learn off each other, but you may well be right. And it wouldn't surprise me if you were in the fact I that wasn't, wasn't there though. Up. You know, I'm just going by like what I had, like my limited reading, you know what I mean? And it's not, oh, no, you're probably I mean, right. Cause I said, I've not looked into him in any detail. I only know him from direct association of him and people I knew that were close with him, like Chris Snowden. Let's not ask chat GPT. I have a feeling <laughs> yeah, they'll get it wrong. Now, yeah, going on to that very, very quickly. Yeah. So apparently the free version is not as efficient as the paid for version. That's what I heard too. That's what I heard too. You get you can go deeper, I guess, with the paid version. Mm. And mm. I also learned from one of our listeners that it's not open source. It's closed source. So there there is that. I did a search on Think Big Bodybuilding Media and they're like, Think Big Bodybuilding Media is a media company that is owned and operated by um, retired IFBB pro and uh, Olympian uh, Sean Ray. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So you stole the name of Sean. I guess so. Yeah. He's got his own Think Big that we don't know about. That's low, Scott. Yeah. Couldn't, you so, get, couldn't you come up with your own ideas? Yeah. So um, I would I would look at things this way with fat burners. I see ECA and clenbuterol as being in you know the, the one category of fat burners, and then I see the thyroid meds, the T three, the T four. I see that as being another category. You know. Okay. I, I feel like if I were to use say clenbuterol, I would pick one. With ECA or Clem, I feel like they're kind of redundant to run together. Um, but then, you know, from there, if I wanted to do something different, 
then my choice would be to go next to the thyroid if, if you know if I wanted to add something else in. Third option would be yohimbine, um, and that would help. The way I understand it, the way Scott Stevenson said, yohimbine is kind of like taking your – if you were driving down the freeway, clen is like putting your foot on the gas – and and yohimbine is like taking your foot off the brake. So it allow if you are riding with both feet, both pedals down, that's that's mm-hmm. what the combo does. And that's basically what I've seen too. So I I mean that's the way I'd put it at least is clan and ECA oh. and then I'd put thyroid meds and then I would put uh what would come after that? Like uncouplers? Well you've got G H. Growth hormone, yeah. And then you've got things like DMP, which is a, a sledgehammer of a drug. There's no denying it's effective, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, T3 and T4 are interesting in the sense that most people tolerate elevated T3 very, very well. But a lot of people struggle with elevating T4. Really? Yeah, so it's to do with, so what you have, obviously, the the body produces TSH, which then stimulates the thyroid to produce T4, which is then converted to T3, which is your bioavailable source. Though, obviously, T4 does have an impact as well. So what people used to do, T3 is much more readily available than it used to be, but when it wasn't, people used to opt for the T4 because that was quite a common med and not hard to get hold of. Yeah. The problem is in a lot of people, that T4 to T3 conversion is union run. Uh, So it's sort of got a set rate, and it will only accelerate to a small extent. So what happened was you'd end up with a high level of T4 and a moderate level of T3. It would be higher than what it would normally be, but it wouldn't be vastly elevated. Yeah, And that, that balance or that imbalance of high T4, low T3 can cause very, very severe depression in people. Hmm where low T4 and high T3 does not, or, or very, very rarely. Yeah. So you will you will tolerate high T3 very, very well. But if, you're gonna, if your only source is T4, I would be a little bit wary about how you dose that. Definitely don't go in heavy. Yeah. Uh, because if you can't keep up in the conversion rate to T3 and you get those balances out, it can be crippling. Yeah. So... Um, I've never seen that, uh, with, with the, I've never noticed it. I haven't had anybody say that, but also though, I haven't used a ton of T4. I have one guy right now who has been using growth. And so, you know, for like a little more education for people, we like, we understand that growth hormone will speed that conversion from T4 to T3. Mm -hmm. So he Mm -hmm. had, he had high T3 and low T4. And he's on growth. Mm-hmm. So we're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Why don't we increase the T4? He's in a fat loss mm-hmm. stage. But let's see what happens. And he just started burning and burning and burning. You know, so T3 is still high. And his T4 is still, it's in range. It's it's at like the bottom end of range now. We could add more than we are. But we're getting the effect we want. You know, he doesn't have any symptoms of like low thyroid. Uh, so he's he's doing well with it. Um <clears throat> No, I would T- say T4 is, is a good addition to, to GH use. It's very, very common for T4 to be low in GH use. Yeah, even in um, like an off-season, it can be beneficial for that reason, if that situation presents itself, like this guy, right? Well, so, so the problem is, you see, a lot of your feedback loop for TSH is from T3. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so what? Not only when you put GH in, the conversion of T4 to T3 increases. T3 elevates. TSH senses an elevation that reduces, which in turn causes lower T4 again. Yeah. Because your signal to produce T4 has been reduced because T3 is elevated. Yeah. So to keep things in balance, but at the same time, the main benefit for adding T4 to that combo is that it's going to improve the overall fat loss. Sure. Most people won't start to have side effects or negative side effects from the fact that their T4 is low and their T3 is high. But if you did the reverse, drop the GH, push the T4 up to, say, 200, 250, even 300 micrograms, yeah, and then you didn't have a T3 level that raised in balance with that, that's when you start to see problems. Yeah, we're often told, you'll hear if you read, you'll say, um, uh, what is it? It's a, a, a four to one, is it? Uh, a T4 to, to T3. So that for every 100 micrograms of T4, it'll equal 25 micrograms of T3. But you're right. There there are those chemical steps that it takes to get to T3. And it, you'll be um, you'll be tethered to how quickly you can do that. You know, so some people, they might not they might not convert it that fast. Yeah, and it's a common mistake that people use that protocol, which is fine if you have no thyroid function, because that is roughly the conversion rate of T4 to T3 is roughly of a ratio of 4 to 1. But when you have normal thyroid conversion, what happens is the T4 converts as its normal pathway, and then you add the T3 on top, and then what you end up with is elevated T3 levels, and they can be substantially elevated, like double up a limit, yeah. And normal T4 levels. It's not a negative if you're looking for fat loss, but it is a negative if you're trying to main, no, maintain normal thyroid function. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, and that's something we can look at on lab work too. So you don't have to just take it and guess. Like we can look at TSH, we can look at T3, we can look at T4, mm -hmm. and we can look at the enzymes that are converting those things. Um, I, I'll say, I, I know I talked about it on a different podcast, but. Um, I mentioned that I don't really like working with vegan people that are that are trying to be competitive bodybuilders. I've just seen too many health issues. And one of the things I've seen is issues with that conversion process after like basically long term malnutrition because they aren't getting the nutrients they need by eating like a super limited diet. Uh, but that's a whole other conversation, I guess. The vegan bodybuilding is difficult. Uh, yeah, it's complex, yeah, because of the point of nutritional balance, etc. And the other thing is, someone trying to bulk in a vegan state is very difficult, just because the sheer volume of food they have to consume. Yeah, yeah. So we've got your. You know, now we we also mentioned GH. I wouldn't consider GH to be, and I, I think you're probably with me on this, like a strong fat burner. Like if we're like, hey, let's introduce a fat burner. GH isn't the first thing that comes to my mind. Is it for you? Yeah. No, I look at GH as a, a more of a recomp drug in that yeah. sense, in that it's a nice addition for a long-term goal. And if you want to focus on its fast loss properties, I'd go AM faster. If you want to focus on its recovery properties, but with a small amount of fat loss, I'd go PM. 
Um, and I just find it, it's a complementary drug in that sense, but it's, it's definitely a very expensive way to look at a fat loss drug. Yeah. There is definitely far cheaper and far more effective compounds out there that will do the job quicker and at a lot less money. So we still have DNP to talk about. And we didn't mention over-the-counter fat burners, things. You know, you remember you would see all these products, and they're not as popular as they used to be in the early 2000s, but like all your hydrocuts and everything else that are basically just like caffeine and a few other random supplements. Well, I don't think those are super <laughs> beneficial, personally. Do you are, are those something that you lean into for fat loss? No, I mean... I think caffeine caffeine has a definitely has a boost from a point of view of appetite suppressant. Um and obviously a stimulant when you're lagging. But it can easily be overdone as well and can start becoming a negative problem if your caffeine intake is too high. Yeah, get all stemmed um, out. The the bottom line is, you know, when you start looking at illicit drug loss then the, the over-the-counter stuff's not going to come near. Um, there used to be a big trend, I don't know if it still is now, of using some of the cold remedies or the um, like Sudafed-type products because they contain pseudoephedrines. Huh. Yeah, I so just gone straight ease. to the ephedrine. Yeah, so Chesties was one. Um, okay. That, that was a cracking little fat burner, but yeah. you, you were limited to how much you could buy from the shop. But... Uh, that was quite good because it was a pseudoephedrine, and I think there's a pseudofed that's that's uh, one of the pseudofed sprays is very very similar as well. Yeah, so we have that that same thing here. Like you could buy, it's different state to state, but in the state of Michigan, you can buy ephedrine. You have to go to the pharmacy to get it. You buy it from behind the counter. You have to present your driver's license, and you can only buy so much each month. And that's because it's a chemical step to illicit drugs. So mm -hmm. they're trying to just regulate that. It has nothing to do with regulating the ephedrine for your personal use as much as it does that. So what about uh, DMP then? We recently got a question. It was like, hey, why doesn't anybody ever talk about DMP? And I was like, bro, we talked about it a couple of years ago, like in depth. I think the thing with DMP is it is a very effective fat burner, but it is a very difficult drug to live with. And I think that's what's killed. I, it was popular for a short period of time, and I think it was like a lot of drugs we get. I mean, DMP is definitely a Dan Duchesne thing. I'm, I'm certain it was him that brought that to the market. Yeah. Uh, John yeah, Romano has a story about they were sitting at the kitchen table uh, in their little apartment in Venice Beach, him and Dan, and they were packaging it up in pills. And John said, man, we're sitting there, and I started realizing, like, I'm sweating. Like, I'm getting really hot. And then they realized it was going through their skin. Wasn't it something to do with the Russians used to use it? And he he, he saw, but it was, it was around in the 1930s and 1920s as a fat burner. Yeah, yeah. It was like up I mean, until uh, amphetamine came out. It was like the primary fat burner that people used. And then when amphetamine came out, they were like, oh, we've got a much safer, healthier option out there. Oh, didn't DMP get... <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure it got banned due to a large number of cataracts or something it did. Yes, yes. Yeah, it does cause cataracts. In, That's right. Yeah, but back in the 1930s, it used to be advertised in the back of the papers as, as a fat burner. Holy crap. I wonder if I, I can mean, find that. I'll look it up. There is a... I don't think this story is true okay. in the slightest, but there is a story that uh, 
the original miners that used to blast with dynamites, um, a lot of them were very, very lean. Um, <laughs> and they discovered it was the DMP that was soaking into the skin from handling the dynamite all the time. Okay. I said, I don't know if that's true, but it's a nice story anyway, even if it's not. Hmm. Um, yeah, D- I mean, DMP is, is probably from a time period of what is potentially viable, the pretty much the most effective fat burner there is. Yeah. But it, it's also not the pleasantest of drugs to get on with. Um, it's one of the few fat burners I've experimented with. And it was fucking horrendous. From, really? From, from my point of view, my experience with it was awful in, in the sense of how I felt on the stuff. Uh, I know I know other people have tolerated it quite well. I know there was a popularity for it being run all year round at low dose for oh, a short God. period of time. Um, there's some interesting data from something like the, the American Institute of Poisons or something. Okay. And, and they, I've tried to find it some months ago and couldn't find it again, but they produced... A some um, documents showing the death of people using DMP. Okay, and it was dose related, hmm. um, and and what it was based around was, um, I believe, the dosing that the individuals had declared they were using or were known to be using at the point at which they died, but it didn't go into what the circulating levels were within their bloodstreams. Okay. And there were a couple of deaths that were as low as, you know, 100 milligrams, 200 milligrams a day. Really? Huh. But they'd been using for extended periods of time. But most of the deaths seemed to be around a total of... This is what wasn't clear, because it showed... Deaths with doses of 200 milligrams, and then it showed deaths of doses of 5 grams. Now, I can't see anyone really consuming 5 grams on a daily basis. So no. I don't know if it was a mix of daily intake or a mix of what was present in the bloodstream at point of death, but there were definitely some so – there was definitely – 5 grams was definitely a significant number in the sense of the amount of people that were fatal around the 5-gram mark. Yeah. Um, and I, I suppose it's one of the few drugs in the bodybuilding world that actually does kill you. As in, yeah. flat point there kills you. You know what I mean? Skip. Skip Hill. He he almost bit it due to DNP. And, mm-hmm. and he said what scared him the most was he didn't change the dosing. He ran it for a short, I think it was like, or he ran it for like a very short cycle, a couple of weeks or something. And then he did it again. And he didn't get quite as good of benefits from it, uh, you know, like a, a month later. And then he did it again a month after that. And then all of a sudden he got some major water retention and a lot of health issues. And he, he was like, he thought he was going to die, basically. Like, and there was nothing I, that you could do about it. Because that's the other thing is there's nothing to reverse it if you've taken no. too much. All they yeah, do is pack I mean, you there was a girl over here, a student that died. It was a few years ago now. And I believe she'd been taking 1,200 milligrams a day. Good God. So fucking high dose. Yeah. Uh, and that was the point of that was the fact that when they admitted to hospital, they basically just made her comfy and waited till she died. 
Yeah. The irony of it all was she was campaigning with her local student union to have a DMP awareness night. You mentioned this before on the last time mm. we recorded this. She must have had some sort of um, like guilt complex or something, you know? Some I sort of complex going on there. Yeah. I, I, think, I think she had a problem. It may have been anorexia or something of that nature, and she'd, she'd turn to, you know, fat burners to manage uh, her image issues. Yeah. Hey, here's but, an advertisement uh, for DNP. 37 pounds with Dilex. Ridiculous. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Um, now you, too, can take off pounds of ugly fat with this safe, easy, quick way. No dieting, no self-denial, <laughs> no strenuous exercise. You may eat what you want. Wow. And so it says, uh, conclusions, uh, cataracts caused by DNP pills in the 1930s received prominent exposure in the medical literature. These reports were accompanied by equally troubling accounts of narrow therapeutic index of DNP. Um, the ease with which such a dangerous drug could be marketed in the United States highlighted the inadequacies of the 1906 Pure Food and Drug Act. Despite loopholes and shortcomings in the 1906 law, it took five years for, of committee meetings um, and negotiations for Congress, Congress to concede. Hmm. Mm. It, it's a mad old drug. It is a mad old drug. That's um, and like you say, once it's in, it's it's pretty much in until it decides it's going. Um, I've, I think they asked, well, I don't think they've ever, I mean, every, I think everyone works on about a half-life of five days, but I don't think it's ever actually been confirmed, does it? I'm not sure. I know that it is a super long half-life, and that's where people get themselves into trouble, right? Because mm, uh, they yeah. take a larger, you know, like they, they, they take whatever dose they're taking, and then it compounds upon each other day after day. Um, I also I, remember Jim McVeigh at, uh, at the time, Liverpool, now at Manchester University, uh, a professor of uh, misuse of drugs. Yeah. I can't remember his title. It's professor of some substance misuse, I think is his title. Okay. And he was saying he actually has data on people that it didn't work on. Were they getting fake DMP? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I never got to the bottom of the conversation, but he just said that there are, there are people on record that it, it doesn't affect. Yeah. I'll say this. I if, mean, you, if you want to get lean, I, I can tell you that. So I've used it twice. And the reasons I used it were just because I wanted to know, like I wanted to know for myself. Right. And uh, I, I can't fault somebody. I can't tell you not to, if that's what you want to do, but don't know. Don't think that you have to. I can promise you that with the right diet for you and, and and the right direction that you can do it without DNP. It is not so. so I, I just don't want people to think it's their only resort, you know. And well, it doesn't let, have to let's be, used. be. Let's be truthful, right? Tech assisted bodybuilders, tech natural bodybuilders. I know who are the leanest. I I think they both can be. Yeah, but I think more often than not, you find the naturals coming more shredded than the, the users do, and as a result, and they're not using fabric. So yeah, okay, there is, <coughs> there is definitely no need for fat burners to get in condition. It's a tool. It's useful. It makes it easier. By all means, that doesn't mean you shouldn't use, but don't be under the impression that it has has to be because yeah. 
it doesn't. You're going to suffer more without, and it's going to be harder work without, but it is still achievable. And literally thousands of natural athletes have proved this and proved this month in, month out every year. And long term, um, you know, long term, is it worth it? You may be able to get through without having, you know, taken too much and been hospitalized today. But is it going to be worth it when you look back at your bodybuilding? You know, I don't, I, I don't think it is for me ever again. And, you know, I, I'd consider people to just I'd ask you to just weigh that out. You know, I mean, you, you, we mentioned earlier on that I have not had a great deal of use of fat burners in my life. Uh, and, and obviously I, you can. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've never really been particularly lean to need it, but that's the, the point. I, it is a tool and it is your choice to use it. But for me personally, I've always looked at fat loss as being, unless you're trying to get sub, you know, you're trying to get into the single digit sort of ranges that up to about 10%, there's no requirement for a fat burner. And I think an argument of using it to that point is somewhat a little bit mute. Beyond that point, I can definitely say, yes, I can see the value of fat burners here. Up until that point, yeah, you'll get there quicker, you'll get there easier, but it's still not that difficult a challenge to get to around the 12%, 10% mark without using fat burners just on diet and cardio and everything else. Getting below that becomes more difficult, and that's when the drugs really do kick in in, in my head for, for being useful. Um, One more category I've, we didn't mention, uh, and, and then we have to move on because we've been doing this for like over 30 minutes, but uh, like the, the GLP-1 drugs, the new, the new line oh, yeah. of, you know, just basically glucose disposal agents, we'll say in general, um, which mm. I think are, are becoming more and more prevalent. And for the right situation, they can be really helpful. Yeah, and um, up to press with with minimal minimal negatives. From it would appear, it'd be a lot safer to take some some agglutide than it would be DMP. That's for sure. Mm, um, I mean, I say it's uh, in the moment. It seems to be the only thing I don't like about those drugs is that the appetite shut off. I've had a few people that have been using it, and these weren't bodybuilders, they were just people trying to lose weight, that have ended up suffering from malnourishment and malnutrition because they're just not eating. Mm, that's a problem. So I it is it is a powerful drug. Its direct side effects aren't so bad, but you do have to be wary that, one, you still eat, but, two, that you eat healthily because your appetite is so much reduced it's more important that what you do put in is good quality stuff. I've paid really close a, attention to appetite with people on it. I've started low. I don't think I've gone higher than most people. I'll start with 0.25 milligrams per week. That's one shot per week. And we go up to a half a milligram. And honestly, at a half a milligram, I've found really good success. But that said, that's like with doing everything else right. And these guys are mm. eating several times. You know, they're eating uh, at least five meals a day. I've, I've seen people go down to only eating once or twice a day because they don't have any appetite. But the problem, problem is when they do eat, they're eating shit as well. Yeah. And that's where it becomes. I mean, that is generally outside of bodybuilding circles and more to do with general health people. Well, not even general health, but just people using it for fat loss in general who don't have a great deal of diet knowledge, which is why they've been struggling to lose weight, which is why they've turned to the drug in the first place. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, if you're going to use the GLPs, be wary of the fact that if you have a lead limited capacity to consume food because you're just not hungry, you better make sure what you consume is good stuff. All right. We have a few listener questions in the live stream. We've got a bunch of them that you guys commented with the previous episode. Um, if you guys have any questions for the next episode, then definitely comment here on YouTube. We'd be happy to take your questions then. Uh, and if you're new to our content, let me encourage you to subscribe and hit the bell because we have several bodybuilding podcasts each week. Before we get to the questions, I had to ask you about this little picture here, Dave. You're a little, uh, little. I got a little uh, scooter out there, huh? You need is that my you? scooter a lot. Is that that is me in all my glory. I saw a picture of Dave as he was driving away, too. Why did I know that was going to turn up? <laughs> it was Why not did Dave. I know that that You've Why did getting, I know that was gonna... <laughs> You've been getting comments. People have said every episode, they're like, Dave's getting leaner. How's your diet going? Uh, generally, actually, apart from one day, the last two weeks have been really, really good. Yeah. Well, people are noticing, man. Yeah, uh, cardio's been pretty much every day, sometimes twice a day. Um, Damn. Having said that, I, di I didn't do it this morning. Oh. All right. Uh, but be back on it tomorrow. So we got a bunch of questions. Um, one of them was about, uh, and I don't see where it is offhand here, so I'll just tell you. A guy asked us about um, oral uh, Prima Bolin and uh, what we think about it as compared to uh, the injectable version? The, 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 the simple answer is that oral administration of steroids is not the ideal route for getting the drug into your system. Injectable is always going to be a far better delivery system. So I understand when you're using orals like dianabol, oxymethylone, turinabol, because they were designed for oral administration, and as a result, they have a slightly different pathway. Yeah. I, but I don't understand why you would take something like Primo as an oral when the injectable version delivers it in a much more efficient way, and you're actually making a drug that has low physical impacts in administration and making it more impacting by stressing your liver because you're taking it in an oral administration. <laughs> Well, uh, oral Primo isn't methylated either, so its oh, right. okay. bioavailability is crap or shite, as your people may say. So you're already taking a compound that's super low, you know, strength, and yeah. now you're you're like it's it's basically. I would go as far as to say almost useless. Well, I, I just why would you take something in a format that makes it harder for it to do its job? Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I, the reverse of that is stuff like injectable D-ball or injectable oxymethylone. Yeah, they're still seven. They're still seventeen alkylated compounds, so they're still going to have some stress factors. But at least that way, you're you're making the administration route much much more efficient. Yeah. Where, whereas taking an injectable to an oral, you you just you're lessening its, its ability to be bioavailable. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And next thing you're going to be, well, what about a Primo cream? I mean, it's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, we got a bunch of them here. What else do we have? Mark says, uh, hey, guys, love the show. I'll keep my question short. I'm going into a mass building phase and was considering doing a 1200 EQ, 600 NPP with DECA, uh, or DECA without any test at all. I've always used test at my base, even as the base, even um, if it's only half a mil. But after listening to Broderick Chavez was considering this new approach, is there any merit to this or should I keep the test E in? Thank you. I, I, I'm not a fan of non-test based cycles. I have found when there was the big rage for Decker only cycles a few years back, I did know a few people that, that worked very well on them. Robbie Robinson is supposed to have worked very well on Decker only cycles as well back in the seventies and eighties. Um, but I found most people struggle to, to survive on those for longer than sort of six weeks. Yeah, I could see that. I've never um, done it. I've never seen, well, no, I have done it once. I did a, I only had Winstrel early, early on and I ran a, an oral Winstrel only cycle. And after about three weeks, I just felt like garbage. Like my, you know, test was not, you know, obviously non-existent. I felt strong, but I felt zero motivation, zero libido. And I've always been warned. Oh, we lost Dave. I'd always been warned not to use uh, uh, a cycle without test. But um, in my personal opinion, I would never want anybody else to do it. What happened? What happened there? I don't know. I'd never want to do a test only cycle or a non test cycle, though. And I used to more, I, I, I was more into like trying to get people not to do something like this but nowadays my thought is hey go ahead if you want to try it and if you don't like it it's not going to be the end of the world it might not be a great cycle you know what i mean i would be interested actually to hear how he gets on if he does do it and let us know because it's a learning curve i mean the thing is the sharing of information around things like this really helps us all learn yeah um I mean, I, I find oral only cycles much better tolerated than injectable only cycles that are non-test based. Yeah. Um, so I find that most people will tolerate Anavar or T-Ball or, you know, those sort of drugs for, for reasonable periods of time, as long as you don't go start taking a piss with them. But I found DECA generally is, is quite impacting very early on without some DHT in there. But... I mean, equipoise is a weird drug as well when it comes to compound bases because it sort of sits in between testosterone and DHT as a chemical compound. Yeah. So is that going to offset things a little bit? Will DHB being the DHB conversion be enough to to replace DHT? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Let us know, right? Yeah. All right, considering doing a cycle consisting of testy 300, NPP 200, injectable D-ball 25 per pre-workout um, to add size. Uh, do you think it is better to add in some mast and or Primo to control estrogen or use aromasin or combine them all? Um, can you please give me dosing advice too? Thank you so much. I can't advise on dosing because I don't know you, your experience, your physique. So, and we're not, please don't message back with a picture of yourself and saying X, Y, Z, because we're not going to have time to get into it on here. Um, So dosing is out. You are going to need some estrogen management. 
I would suspect, with that. Uh, particularly, I mean, MPP, okay, it's only a 20% aromatization rate, but that with the 300 and the D-ball in total, the D-ball. I would suspect. I think aromacine would be enough. Yeah. Um, and I'd probably say 25 once or twice a week would probably be enough to cover it. Um, you could go the mast route if you wanted to. Um, yeah, and it is too. very, very popular now using DHTs to manage estrogen, but you are going to be increasing your total anabolics and you are going to be putting more stress on your HDL levels using the DHT, whereas aromacin will have that negative impact. So personally for me in this scenario, I'm suspecting you've chosen these doses because they're relative to your experience. And so I would be reluctant to say take more gear and be more along the line of drop the aromacin in and manage it that way. You just made me think of something. So, you know, we had the whole thing where everybody has said that estrogen management is the devil. So they stopped using AIs. And they're like, hey, I got an idea. Let's take several hundred milligrams of another steroid that's going to reduce our estrogen because we want to be healthier. <laughs> that, that's, that's bodybuilding all over. We... <laughs> By nature, it is extreme, um, and by nature, it's also very trend-driven. And and yeah, trend? you know, we p- a lot trend of trend-driven, yeah, yeah. Trend, trend as well. But trendy, trend but, you know, I mean, very driven by trend. Green. There's there's lots of buzz drugs that have crept into to use, and and then and then fallen by the wayside or reduced. DHB went through a stage of being super, super popular. Everybody it was did. jumping on DHB. Ment, there was a few a, couple of years ago, Ment. Ment was huge. Then Trent in its own right had a peak that has subsided to some degree. It was Everything was testing Trent. Everybody was running tests and Trent. Yeah. Now everybody's running, running low-dose tests, Mast and Primo. So there are these fashions, and they're not always driven Initially, they are usually found in sound science, but then they get bastardized. And the, the, the same people that will abuse one drug, they will then just turn to, you know, say, oh, well, I'm using Primo because it's milder. Yeah, but using two gram of the shit. Yeah, well, I got to control my estrogen, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you, you know what I mean? It, it's just like... You know that yes, two grammar primo is going to be less impacting than than two grammar trend, but the chances are you wouldn't use that level of trend. But because primo is less impacting from a point of view of growing as well, yeah, to compensate for that, when the root of the problem is actually in your diet and training, to compensate for that, you've ended up taking astronomical amounts of primo, and now your your HDL is sitting at zero point two, and it's absolutely fucking trashed. But this is healthier. You know, it's it's mind-boggling what we do to try and justify to ourselves our actions. And we all do it. I'm not sitting here on a high horse. I've done it myself. We've sure. all done it. We've all sat there and argued a reason as to why what we're doing isn't unhealthy for us because we want to justify our own drug use. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So Anthony has one for us. Been listening uh, to all the drugs and stuff for about a year, loving the content. This is my first question. I'm a TRT user, never took steroids till now, under a clinic in the UK. He's 37, um, uh, ages, 
at wait, thirty-seven. Am wait in the UK. Am thirty-seven at the ages of thirty. Oh, oh I got gotcha. you. My yeah, total yeah. test was nine point nine, which my doctor told me was okay. Last year, questioned my. We need some freaking punctuation here, buddy. Questioned my <laughs> testosterone again. It improved eleven uh, at Nmol. Now on TRT, one hundred and fifty milligrams week into injections. My t- total test is twenty six Nmol. Uh, am looking at taking a bit more to see if I feel any more benefit. Um, try cycle. What should I do? Uh, should I just increase right. it to 50 milligrams each? Wow, that was really hard to read without any punctuation. So basically, to paraphrase that into a very simple sentence, currently on 150 milligrams a week, considering upping it, but not sure which route to go. Yeah. Um, your TRT is as it is in a good place. Um, you could even argue that 26 is possibly a little bit on the touchy high side, depending on when you're injecting. But I think what is that? what you said, that's out. Yeah, what does that come to to like nanograms per deciliter for oh, us U.S. God. people? The, 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 right, so the thing is, the U.S. ranges are higher than ours. Oh. So if so ours is like limit, a thousand, let's say. that That's much higher than our upper limit of 29. Oh, okay. I can't I remember you. the exact conversion, but they are higher. And this is where a lot of U.K. people go wrong because they, they run U.K., they, they look at trying to match U.S. levels and then they start getting into all sorts of problems with the HCL and blood thickness and don't understand why. Well, I'm running at U, uh, U.S. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's right. There's a, there's a genetic element to this. USA. USA. There is a genetic element to this. And, <laughs> and the, the, the levels that you see in the ranges are based on national averages. They're based on the, the typical populace of the country in which you reside. Okay. So uh, what should you said do? all that. Yeah, I personally would just, I wouldn't start fucking about with 50 milligrams here and 50 milligrams there. If you're going to do a cycle, do a cycle. If you're not, remain in your TRT, but do not get stuck in this midway land that you are heading towards because that is a recipe for disaster. Ah, yeah. Because it's, it's not particularly high enough to get cyclitic results, but it's too high to manage TRT. So you end up with side effects and problems. Hmm. And not really getting the benefit you should be getting from that from those problems you're experiencing. So, I would go 400 mg test, boom, job done. Do a cycle, come off, leave it two three weeks, and then start your TRT again, or not at all. But I wouldn't do a 50 and then fuck about, then do another 50 because I can guarantee you'll be three four months down the line having run 200 or 250 mega a week. Your HDL will be at 0.7. Your blood thickness will be out of range and you'll be starting to get symptoms and problems and you won't know what the fuck's gone on. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you need two bloodlets. You need to sort your HDL out. You need to do this. You need to do that. And if your TRT company is any decent, they'll be blood testing you every three months anyway and they'll pick up on high levels and bin you or restrict your usage because of it. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So kind of related question then, but this guy is natural. He's considering his first cycle 250 test at, he says, 0.25 milliliters um, sub Q. So he's he's looking at taking a total of 190 milligrams a week for his cycle um, and an an, an AI um, wouldn't be needed at this dose, question mark. Um, Is this a correct assumption? 
So he wants to run a cycle of 190 milligrams a test. Would you suggest that he also ran more if he's going to do a cycle or is this good enough for him? A lot of it depends where he's coming from a base point of view. If his test level is, shall we say, low teens, then that's going to be a three, four times level jump to where he's used to being. If he's already got a very strong and healthy testosterone level, then the increase relative is not going to be that huge, and therefore, obviously, it's going to be much less impacting on his progress. Okay. I I do feel there's a minimum effective dose, and I do feel it's sort of 250, 300. Uh, I think if somebody is already experiencing TRT, then the first cycle needs to be a little bit higher because you need to differentiate between what you're used to experiencing from what is an artificially top-end range hormone level. So for argument's sake, the gentleman we just discussed, if he went up to one night, the impact on how he feels is going to be very, very minimal for improvements in his life quality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But it's going to start to thicken blood. Um, so I think he's much better jumping straight to 400 and then he's got a nice solid increase on his levels to what he's currently experienced with a natural man. I would want to know where his baseline is. Yeah. If his baseline is 15 or below, then I would say his dosing. Yeah. One night, two fifty somewhere around there would probably be there or thereabouts. I appreciate that he may want to keep the level low because he doesn't want to start getting into big amounts of estrogen management, which is fine, and at one night he could potentially get away with that. I mean, estrogen is still going to elevate, but it might not be at a level that's problematic to him from symptoms and side effects. Hmm. I, I would feel like, for me, I, I would do something different. I, I would go to what? at least 300 tests. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and just across the board, just I feel like to get a good... It, it, to me, it's, it's to get a good, strong super physiological effect we're not just trying to like create like a, <coughs> like a, 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 a trt plus super optimal effect like we're trying to i want to try to push up higher and grow as much muscle as possible that's kind of a compromise for me in the years past i would have said 500 tests for 12 10 to 12 weeks but now i'd say you know 300 would be probably about the minimal i would personally go but that's like i said that's I, just me as a coach what i no, in my I, experience yeah and I don't disagree with it in the slightest. I think a lot of it with the second individual really does depend on what he's looking for. Mm. Um, if you're naturally, at, say, let's just say you're naturally, your test levels, I'm going to speak English here, okay. are 15 and 15 mole. Yeah. Okay? You go on a cycle that's effectively 200 milligrams a week. That's going to put you at about 45 mole. So that's three times your baseline. Yeah. From a point of view of how you feel and perform, you're definitely going to see an improvement on that. Absolutely. Where if you were at 20, 25 as your start level, then that 45 jump isn't going to be as impacting in how you feel. So it depends on what he's wanting out of this. If he's wanting a full-blown bulking let's grow cycle, then I'm I'm with you. Three, four, even 500 milligram of test a week. Okay. But, But if he's wanting to optimize... With a balance of, I don't want to start getting down a road of estrogen control. Yeah, I still want to optimize from a performance point of view. 
Yeah. Then okay. actually, one night, one one night is quite viable. Yeah, it, I would agree with you. It would do that, just like we've talked about. You know, like you know, ten milligrams of Anavar a day is, or even yeah. five. You will notice that in the gym. Are you going to grow a lot of muscle from it? Probably not. You know, but you will get better performance. Yeah, right. I mean the when you when you look at these German stuff, they were on ten milligrams of T ball, twenty milligrams of T ball a day, and they were yeah they were smashing world re- smashing world records with that. All right, we got a bunch of them here that I, I still had, so let's just try to rapid fire them. Um, we got through that. I found that question about Primo, so we answered that one. These were just from the latest episode. Um, question for the next episode. Uh, oh, I like this one because we talked about this a little bit before. More majority of people run twelve to fifteen week cycles. Um, if the cycle is mild, let's say five hundred milligrams of test plus HCG, can you run it for twenty plus weeks? Scott, your input advice is also appreciated. Now, Dave, what do you think about cycle length for, say, a guy that we'll say that a guy that comes off completely? I I generally stick to around the twelve, but I am happy to extend if a person is feeling good and progressing. But at the same time, I am happy to cut short if they are not. Yeah, it's going to depend. And I, I think I think how- it depends on where you are. Yeah. Yeah, are you making progress? If you're, mm. and, and it, for me, if somebody comes off, that's a critical factor because I think we talked about this before, and I had said longer, twelve to sixteen. But if you come off to recover your natural test, uh, the longer you're on, the longer or the harder it's going to be to recover. For a guy that's on mm. TRT, I have no problems going twenty weeks as long as a couple things: blood work is in check, and you're still making progress. If you're not making progress anymore, let's cut it get back to baseline and you know retool and start again you've talked before dave about how you feel like people start losing their motivation a few months in yeah no i i'm with that all right a couple more here master on in prostate um i was going i was cycling master on about five years ago as high as two grams per week with no issues uh, last year, however, I have noticed when on master and I wake up at night feeling like I need to go to the toilet only to see a few drops. Um, I also started experiencing itching sensation when I tried to hold pee in. Uh, since this started, I also ran a DECA cycle and experience and didn't experience any of these things. My PSA is also in the normal range. So when did you test your PC PSA? Did you test it when you were on the mass cycle or did you test it when you were on the DECA cycle or did you test it off? That is significant because it can change and move about. Uh, PSA isn't the greatest measurement for prostate health. It's a cheap one. It's an easy one. But it, it's suspect to a lot of false elevations and other contraindications as well. So um, if you are actually having problems peeing, genuinely having problems peeing, then I would always refer that to your doctor and get that looked at. Um, but nice. if it is only happening when you are on cycle and only with specific compounds, then it stands to reason that, that compound is doing something you don't want it to do. All right, a couple more then from the live stream. Alfonso, um, our favorite, second favorite lawyer. Sorry, Rick Collins is my favorite lawyer, Alfonso. Uh, my son, age 11, is prescribed 1.2 units of GH daily due to growth issues. He, is, he has been on it for a year. 
Um, he has grown over three inches and gained about 10 pounds. He's currently 4'4 and 70 pounds. The weight gain looks lean. He obviously isn't lifting weights, just ice hockey four to five times a week. For an older adult over 40, how much do you think GH would assist with lean gains when stacked with 300 milligrams of test? We kind of talked about this before, but I would expect just some additional quality. It would be hard to to quantify it, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're going to see improved recovery. You're going to see a, a, a mild loss of fat. You're not going to see the growth that you've seen in your son for the simple reason because you are 40 years old and you have gone past that period in developmental growth yep. where growth hormone has that impact. So growth hormone only impacts structural growth uh, and, and muscle mass accumulation when you are developing. Once you have developed, its impact tends to move more towards recovery or fat loss, and that's pretty much it. Um, so it's a nice addition if you have the budget. Um, it is more of a icing on the top sort of drug rather than a mainstream body of the cake. Uh, but it definitely won't do any harm unless you start having issues around water retention. Do you see that suit, Dave? Alfonso's got the budget. Get on the growth, Alfonso. You can do it. All right. Let's see if we got anything else just to wrap up here. Um, let's talk uh, contest prep cycle. We'll make this the last one. Um, planning to compete in classic. Um, he says, so I've designed a cycle for myself, 750 test, 450 NPP with 20 VAR every day. Um, he says 20 milligrams VAR um, T-ball uh td ball 20 milligrams hgh two units on training days plus insulin six units post-workout please share your feedback so 20 var 20 t 20 t ball daily two hgh on training days six of you supposed workout please share feedback on the switch for the compound you know good doubt in micronutrients i don't particularly see anything wrong with it yeah, he's gonna, need, a, he's gonna need some. He's gonna need some estrogen management. Yeah, as a as a coach, it's not what I would personally do. No, I me would, neither. Okay, so I would replace the NPP with Masteron, and I would start the test. If now, that, let's say he's he's used seven fifty test on a regular basis, then that's how much I would probably use. If he's only u ever used five hundred, I would keep the test at five hundred. And then I would add the master on an F8 at 10 weeks out in the Anivar slash T-ball. Um, I wouldn't, I would, I would probably drop the T-ball and I just lean into Anivar, if not Winstrel. And I would run that at maybe 50 milligrams at the last four weeks. And uh, GH, uh, you know, as long as you're not holding water, you can run it all the way in. Insulin. I don't. I don't think this is a comp prep cycle. I think this is a cycle designed for mass looking to compete in classic physique. Oh, I thought he was. We says I'm. I didn't read. I, I didn't read this as a comp. If it's a comp prep cycle, it's bloody terrible. Um, I read this as an off-season cycle prepping to gain some mass for the class of classic. Yeah. I'll tell you because what. Because there's no fat. There's no fat burners in there, so I couldn't see that being a comp prep. Yeah. I'll tell you what, here's here's what I would tell him. I remember my first contest prep. 
and daydreaming about what my off season was going to look like. And I remember coming to my coach and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do for my off season. What do you think? Cause I was going to do it on my own. And I, I just had it all figured out. Like it's going to be two cups of rice here and post work. And I was going to do this. Here's the thing. What we're going to do is it's going to depend on how you respond. So mm. I, I, I like the, and that's where like the insulin comes in insulin at six units. I wouldn't just start that. I would start, with the with the test and the NPP then for an off season, I'd get what I can out of that. And then I might start adding it in the in the growth. And then I might start adding insulin in on specific training days and see how you respond. And I'd start it lower. Like we've talked about last week, two units, maybe three units pre-workout, um, making sure that you have the carbs to accommodate that. See how you respond before you just start blanketly doing six units every training day. Yeah, I mean, if that was comp prep, I'd, I'd, the test would be lower, like you said. The the MPP would be replaced with mass. I'd probably dump the EQ as well. Um, I might leave the MPP in for the first part of the prep, so it might be mass, MPP, and test, and then drop the MPP for the second half of the prep and either up the mass or bring in Primo on top of that. The orals I'd leave out completely to the last sort of six weeks. Um, so that would be a completely different setup if that's actually a comp prep. But if that's an off season, not a fan of the orals being in there. I'll be honest because yeah. I'd be worried about appetite. But the drug choices, they're okay. I don't, yeah. I can't really sit here and say there's anything wrong with them. Yeah, I like test EQ NPP for an off season. I like I like that a lot. That's a that to me is a is a good plan. But all that other stuff, like it's it's you know it's all going to depend on how you respond. You hmm. know. I agree. I think people are too sometimes try to be too structured. Yeah. Same with cycle length when when you do need a start point, but then you you need to have a little bit of suck it and see and re- go with the flow on how things react. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up, Dave. Do you uh, you're doing uh, Fit X Fit Expo like in two weeks? A week and a half. Week and a half. Okay. Wow. So are we are so, we recording next week? How does this work? Because I imagine you're going to be buried after FedEx. I can, I can, no, we can do next week. That's fine. Okay. Uh, and then you'll probably want to take the I'm week after. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, and I, I can announce all this. I know there are some live, but I can announce this all because this will be recorded and go out next week. So we have Sat Khan. We have Jamie the Giant. Yes. We have Andy Bolton. We have Broderick Chavez. We have Nathan Styles. We have Mass Monster. We yes. have Phoebe Goodwin. Yes. We have Romana Scottson. We have Dan Bastic. Yes. We have so many people on the stand. And there's some big news around one of those athletes, but I can't say anything. Um, really? Really? Yeah. Do, do I know this athlete personally? I guess no. I know almost all those people. So, all right. No. Because there's some big news about one of them that you and I both know, or there could be some potentially big news. I'm sure you know about it, but we'll see. Well, I don't think so, but... All right. We'll, t- we'll talk about that off air. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, go to crosslands.org.uk. No, wait. You don't even do that anymore, right? It's been rebuilt. Leave it oh, alone. Okay. <laughs> Crosslands.org.uk. Reach out to Dave, but you can reach out to Dave on social media as well. You yeah. can, uh, for coaching, reach out to me, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. Uh, I'm taking new clients at the moment. And of course, go to our Let's great sponsors, TrueNutrition.com. I got a new shirt, Dave. Look at that. 
It's got the logo on the back. I wish the big logo was on the front. Um, and of course, use our code THINK for additional savings, supplementsource.ca for Canadians, Strom Sports Nutrition. And like I said, you guys over in the UK, I want to hear about your experience with Strom and what supplements that you guys like. Uh, I want to be able to talk more about them. And of course, uh, Patreon. Thank you guys, everybody from Patreon for all your assistance. And, uh, you know, check out Amino Asylum. Use our code THINK over there. We'll talk to you soon.